I'm Jess Fisher, and this is the best paper I ever wrote. Hi, my name is Jessica. This is Best Paper Pod. Um, today is December 20th, and I'm extremely I'm extremely excited to introduce someone I am a huge fan of, Dr. Kathleen Gervasi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Oh, that's that's great. Thank you. So, um, uh, uh, Dr. Kathleen Gervasi uh, was a professor at the Department of Psychology at Niagara County Community College. She has her PhD in social psychology from University of Rochester. And she's an expert in anthrozoology, therianthropy, the furry fandom, student success, mindset, metacognition, and executive function, which we'll get into some of those terms later. Um, did I cool. say all those things correctly? Yeah. Good job. <laughs> Any other uh, expertise you want to add? I know a lot about dogs. Just like dogs? Dogs. Yeah. Great. <laughs> like... I've had dogs my whole life. I know a lot about dogs. You know a lot about dogs. I know a lot about dogs. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, actually, I'll tell you this. Yeah. Um, when I taught intro to psych, which I did, you know, pretty much every semester I'm sure. for years, um, my dogs would go to class uh, <gasps> on the day that we were sort of covering learning. So the students already had a li little information, but the dogs would go to class to kind of demonstrate, right? And so uh, one year, I told my colleague, I'm like, well, if your students want to come, they can come. There's room in the auditorium. And she said, well, why don't you just have them uh, uh, videotape? And then, you know, anybody can watch them. I'm like, cool. So um, the videotape that the dogs did has, uh, I think, I think it was close to 30,000 views. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So there. What were they demonstrating? Um, classical Pavlovian uh -huh. conditioning and uh, operant learning. Um, so Pavlovian is about emotions and reflexes, and uh, operant is about reinforcement and punishment. They're way more into reinforcement than they are punishment, I can <laughs> tell you that. That makes sense. Yeah. So I, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll tell you how I got introduced sure. to your work. Absolutely. Um, I was taking a, a Freud class senior year. Believe it or not, that's how I got in there. Um, we had to, we got to do our last paper on whatever we wanted, and I wanted to do mine on fetishes. And I know, I know, I know. And I approached my professor, and I was like, I want to do mine on furries because I thought that that was a fetish. I got, I got to tell you something. Mistaken. I got to tell you something. Yeah, that was the first search library literature search. Yeah, we did when I first really found out about. Furries, and I was you trying. You did that, those two words together. I no, just fetish. I already knew there was nothing about furries. I already knew that. Ah. So I'm like, well, maybe this is a fetish because all I had to work off of was the Vanity Fair article by Gurley. Mm. And so I, I, it was funny. This was um, a long time ago <laughs> before my library could electronically send you articles. And so I would have to put in interlibrary loan <laughs> and I had this giant stack of articles I'd requested about fetishes yeah. and the li the librarians would call me and like, we have another one of fetish <laughs> articles here. I'm like, ah, um, say it louder. <laughs> yeah, really. Exactly. And I mean, ironically, there was pretty much nothing in there that had anything to do with anything that we could use. So yeah, the fetish thing, I totally get. Right. And so I was sorely mistaken, you know, so I did, I read 
um, pretty much everything you had on furries on like JSTOR and EBSCO. Um, I bought a couple different books as well. Uh, I can't remember the names off the top of my head. And uh, I read, I also read Fur Science at the time, which in Fur Science, it distinctly defines furry as not a fetish. And so I had done weeks of research for this oh, yeah. paper. Yeah. And then I was like, oh no. Um, my professor, Jane Malmo, who's brilliant and wonderful, said, don't worry, no research is ever wasted. It will come up again. So that's why I was like, oh, I should I should talk to, to Dr. Javasi. So was this course, Freud, this Freud class, was it a psychology class? No, no, it was no. it was okay. like a reflection within literature and theater. Okay. Yeah, it yeah, was that, it was uh, Lacan and Freud within theater, but it that was makes mostly, a lot more sense. Yeah, no, I I did minor in child psych, but that was a totally different department. This was actually yeah. in the department of theater. Oh, cool. Yeah, Got so it. I've always had an interest in furries. I've always had like an a, approximate understanding of them since I was uh, ten or eleven. I was very engaged in the uh, Cats the Musical fandom, mm, okay. which is like adjacent to the furry fandom, mm. and there's a lot of overlap, but they're not they're not the same um so i've always like it's just been in my consciousness and so that's why when i was given the opportunity to research them i was like oh my gosh i want to learn everything i can about them sure so uh but i do want to clarify before we dive in that in no ways will furries be the butt of any joke in this podcast i have the utmost respect for fandoms awesome. and especially furries and i have found friendship and love within fandoms multiple times as a as a person um, I only want to clarify that because there's a lot of, you know, memes and jokes. I'm sure any oh, yeah. listening will know that, that they are often the butt of jokes and I don't like that. So Yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons that it was initially pretty hard to even get in the door to, you know, study furries because mm -hmm. that's what they were afraid of. Mm. And that, or you're just going to take this opportunity to, you know, perpetuate these crazy ideas that are out there. And that's exactly what you didn't want to do. I, I Yeah. Right. No, I just wanted to be a good scientist. I mean, basically, I had read the Vanity Fair mm -hmm. article and, and that was just like um, I wasn't looking for stuff about furries per se. Before I encountered that article, I was doing a totally different thing and kind of came upon that. And when I read that article and I thought, really, mm. you know, um, if this is true, somebody should be studying it. And if it isn't true, somebody should be studying it because, you know, um, that article really made a lot of fun of them and made some pretty outrageous statements without much evidence to back them up. That's really interesting. I, I just Googled the, I hadn't, I actually hadn't read that article. Um, so it was You published. didn't find that one? No, oh, I didn't. Oh. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Pleasures of the oh. Fur, which was yes, 2000, yes, yes. 2007? Oh no, March no, 2001? It's, yes, it's pretty old. Yep. Wow. Um, so you started your... Wait, there's a section in there called Calling Dr. Pervert. You're kidding me. No. That's awful. Yes, it's awful. It's I'm looking really at it right awful. now. Yeah, yeah and it, it seems like it seems like they they go to a con and they're they're talking about furries. So you would hope that they would do that with respect if they actually talked to furries like and so so that that's where I get in, into into your stuff that it's what I really like about all of your research is that you treat them with utmost respect. Oh yeah, that was our, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, you know, by training, I'm a, a research social psychologist. I spent 
the last uh, 19 years basically teaching full-time at a community college, which means you're teaching, you're, you know, they don't care if you do research. They right. just need you to go to class and do your work. Um, but I was, I've always really been, you know, a researcher at heart. And so um, I was doing a very tiny little side job as a moderator for um, an animals in society academic chat group, Anthrozoology. And some one day someone said, does anybody know anything about furries, you know? And um, as a moderator, I would just kind of wait for people to answer. And nobody answered within, you know, a day or two or whatever. I was like, well, I guess I better find an answer, you know? Yeah. And so I went to psych info, nothing. And then I'm like, okay, I don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> and so then I Google, and that's how I got to the girly article was because I just basically Googled furries, you mm-hmm. know, and um, that's what came up. And then right. I was like, okay, so nobody's done any research that I can find. I stumbled the other day on a study... I'm not sure if it was published or if it was a conference paper. I'm not sure what the context of it was by a sociologist who probably, I think maybe around 2006 or so, um, I think the last name was Eller, mm-hmm. uh, wrote, wrote something about furries. Um, but I, I don't have much information on it. Um, but I, I didn't find that at the time. So mm-hmm. I, I came up with no peer-reviewed studies about furries. So I thought, hmm, uh, that that's something that could bear looking into. Right. And um, it, it coincidentally, <clears throat> a few years after that, uh, I had a, a a student. I was sharing an office with an anthropology professor, and this uh, kid came in to talk to the anthropologist who wasn't there. And uh, the kid said, "Oh, do you want to see my art portfolio? The really big art portfolio." And I said, okay, sure. And um, he whips out this drawing. And I said, oh, that looks like furry art, you know. And the kid did a double take, like, oh, my God, you know what furry art is. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, whoa. And um, then he tells me he's a furry. And I'm like, yeah. oh, yay, I finally met one. You know, whatever it is, I finally met one. And uh, he ended up taking a class with me. I was teaching a class on human-animal relations. And um, at the end of the semester, and he was graduating, he goes, do you think this college would send me to a furry convention? I'm like, no. Why would they? (laughs) This kid was a little not in touch with reality, I guess. And um, we did a little scrounging around, and that was when uh, Anthrocon was moving from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh, which is only, it's less than four hours from where we are. Sure. And and I said, "Hmm, maybe I could go and do some research, and you could come help me, you know, yeah. you know, um, so that, uh, that turned out to be our first study, which was 2006, which was the first time we collected data was 2006, so we had to jump through a lot of hoops to do that, we had to get, uh, we had to get permission, uh, from the head of Anthrocon, um, and he was, um, so he's interesting, Dr. Uh, Sam Conway, He's a research chemist, so he understands research, um, and I, I kind of had to convince him that, you know, it wasn't up to any nefarious sort of business. Sure. I just I just wanted to be a good scientist, 
And um, he was kind of funny. He says, you know, not everybody's going to participate. I said, we know that. You know, <laughs> That's a study. <laughs> yeah. Um, he goes, well, you know, when I study chemistry, I don't have to worry about the molecules saying they don't want to participate. I said, uh, well, that's funny. I guess that's true. Yeah. I said, well, we, we're aware that this is a problem and any data we collect will be in some way possibly, you know, skewed. And, uh, and then for some finally he said, well, you can come and you can um, try and collect data, but I don't think anybody will participate. Hmm. So, so um, I said, you know, I probably said, that's an empirical question. You know, we'll have to just see what happens. So the irony of the whole thing was that this was going to be um, June 2006. And um, it was the exact same weekend that my middle kid was getting her PhD at Stanford. Oh, my gosh. That was her PhD ceremony was that weekend. And I actually, I couldn't tell my daughter that I was going to Pittsburgh. <laughs> and not her graduation oh, no. ceremony. Yeah. So I'm sorry, uh, I'm going to Anthrocon. Yeah, right, exactly. Um so anyway, one of my colleagues at the college, uh, Professor Scaletta, uh she said she she would go for part of the time. She had a commitment back home, she couldn't stay the whole weekend, but she'd go for part of the time and take uh, you know, I think it was three students with her. And whatever happened was going to happen. So I was in California, and they were in Pittsburgh. Wow. And we got we got a little over 200 participants, which that year there were about 2,400 people at Anthrocon. So we were close to 10%. Right, that's, yeah. Which, you know, considering, and we were just... Um, had a table and handing out surveys, you know, so people would walk by, take a survey, and blah, blah, blah. So turned out amazingly well, considering, you know, what that It makes me wonder if, if you had the rep, too, because you had a... It, so the student who was a furry was with you, right? Uh, he was with us, and he had brought his art because he thought it would be kind of a draw to get people to come to yeah. our table. Um, well, I'm thinking that to have a member in the community, you, you hope and, and you think that you can trust them, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't know if it, 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 it couldn't have hurt. I don't think, um, sure. We since I'm trying to think 2009, that's when Dr. Plant joined us. He, I had been invited to go to uh, Fernal Equinox, which was being held outside of Toronto at the time, and uh, was like a guest of honor for us to do this guest of honor thing. Wow. And um, so I was a guest speaker and uh, gave my little talk, and um, this person came up to me, and he goes, oh, there's this friend of mine, and he, he's, he's got to meet you. He wants to work with you. I'm like, okay, cool. How <laughs> um, I'm gonna get in touch with me? So it turns out this um, student, a grad student at uh, University of Waterloo, um, also in social psychology, named Courtney Plant, who actually really is a furry. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and he's one of our, you know, our founding teammates, and actually he's he's one of our big number cruncher people. Um, ah. Yeah. So he's now. He also worked on furries from A to Z, right? No. No, 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 no. Oh, he he worked on the why so furious. Oh, he was on the why so furious, yes. and uh, he's also on on first science. Absolutely yeah. right. 
Yeah. So um, he's at Bishop's University in uh, Quebec or some part. It's in it's in Canada. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, no, he came along after. So he he was kind. We were collaborating at the time we got the Fiona thing. So what happened with the Fiona thing? Uh, backtrack a little bit. So the um, group that I was the moderator of through Animals and Society, that group, um, the guy that was running that organization was also the editor of the journal Society and Animals, okay? Mm-hmm. And I had told him, look, I'm going to be studying furries. There are no published papers in psychology that are peer-reviewed about this. Do you want the paper? And he said, yes. I said, great. Okay. (laughs) So um, I had first done a conference presentation at an identity conference outside of Washington, D.C. in 2007, where um, Dr. Conway, also known as Uncle Kage, uh, he could not attend, but uh, he sent two of his board members who happened to live in that area, and I met them, and they gave me some pointers on how to get a better sample and blah, blah, blah. And so um, that conference presentation sort of became the paper. Okay. So anyway, um, there was a word limit on the paper, and I kept telling um, Dr. Shapiro, the editor, I'm like, "I, I can't make this word limit. I'm like, nobody knows anything what we're even talking about. How can I, mm. I can't. Yeah, when you have to define some yeah, of the things, sure. I can't say go back and read, you know, Smith and Jones, and then you'll know what you need to know. So he kept giving me more and more words. So it, it was good. It turned out okay. So then, like, a couple of years later, he's like, well, sends me an email, whatever. He's like, oh, we, we're going to be publishing this piece, which is a criticism of your work. So I'm going to give you, you know, wow. chance to rebut it, the criticism. I said, okay. So at that point, um, Dr. Plant was involved, and and so are are these are these criticisms are these rebuttals are are they typical? Yeah, they're not unusual, you know. Okay. Um, what what really made us annoyed, I guess that's a polite word, um, was that yeah. he let this criticism go on and on and on. And he gave us... You mean in the paper itself? Yeah, but... Like, it just kind of... It goes on. It, it goes really on, extrapolates. Right? Yeah, it does. And he gave us a word limit in our reply. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like he wanted the drama of the academic paper. Oh, my God. So, we, you know, we, we just tear her whole nonsense to shreds. Oh, you do. Oh, my gosh. I was trying to... I found some quotes that I really loved. But we I did way better than what you read because when we sent it to him, he goes, um, that's too much. I said, that's too much, like, too long? Or we're being... Or too aggressive. Yeah. He goes, well, kind of... I think he said both. And we're like, you let her say anything. She was very aggressive. She said the thing about she said, um, "How do you know they're not all drunk?" Reasons, 
uh, less than 100% human, not the least having a hangover from furry yeah, drinks the night exactly. before. Oh my gosh! How do you know like they're this, not so all in this drunk. paper? Really, lady? Oh, in this paper, um, this rebuttal of of furries from A to Z, this this doctor claims that one of their questions is invalid because it could be interpreted as furries being hungover from the night before. Like, and it, I guess it's a trying to be humorous, but it's it's just rude to furries. It, it, to your research. It, it, you know, when you're at a convention and <laughs> you get people, the really drunk people, I don't think are going to participate. Uh, but, Why would you they know, want to do a survey? There are other things, you know, like if they're drunk. Yeah, and, and that, yeah, really. And that first year, I, I and like I say, I wasn't there, I was in California, but I believe that first year, um, people basically stayed at the table and completed the surveys there. Now, as um, as years went by, so we've had a presence at Anthrocon every year since 2006, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a, as I met with the two uh, folks from the board of directors in the spring of 2007, they said, you know, you'd probably get more surveys turned in if you had them distributed in the con bag, the little bag of goodies that everybody gets when they register, and then everybody will get a copy of the survey. And then they can just fill them out and bring them back to you. So we did that for um, maybe two or three years. Mm-hmm. And and uh, one of the problems... Gives them time to do it in their hotel rooms Yeah, they can do it whenever yeah. or wherever, right? So Right. And that way you can ask more questions, be a bit more... They can be more thorough as far uh, as, like, rating and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. No? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like... Um, and then... About, let me, about 2010, um, somewhere around there, they moved their registration area to this big, wide-open space in the convention center. They had previously held registration in a hotel in a very kind of crowded little place. Hmm. And um, we, we, we arrived, and we just saw this, line with like probably you know a thousand people in the line and they're all standing in line with nothing to do and i'm like we've got to get permission to pass out the survey in the line because you know that's perfect they're standing around with nothing to do um once the convention starts and there are amazing number of you know activities and events and things going on um there people are going to be less they're going to have less time, you know, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, um, they did give us permission to um, pass a survey out to folks in line. And um, that really, like, increased our numbers a lot. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And yeah. It, it worked really well. It, it takes a lot of helpers to really, like, blanket the the area. Um but yeah, that so that is the most recent for for the last several years. Basically, that's what we've done is given it out, and then they're like, "Well, I can't do this right now." We're like, "That's okay. We'll be here until Sunday, you know, two o'clock, whatever. Bring it back to us, that sort of thing." So you know, in all truth, um, we know some people fill it out kind of on the spot, give it right back to us. Um, other people take it off to their room or wherever, you know, and, and bring it back later. 
um, the last, I think a couple of the last years, at least one or two of the last years, uh, we've run out of surveys. So we'll go there. Wow. With, we'll go with like, you know, maybe um, 2,000, 2,500, something like that. And uh, we run out. Um, then we've had like sort of an online backup system. So if, if we've given out, you know, 2,500 and we get a thousand or more back, we're getting a good percentage back of what yeah, we gave that's out. That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, um, some people just, and, and it's, some people don't want to be bothered and that's fine. That's, you know, it's, it's not, it's, <laughs> you're at a con. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> and I mean, it's not a random sample. It's True. never going to be. There's nothing we can do about it. Um, in defense of that, uh, you know, like, is the sample biased because it's at a con, which I think is a totally fair question because, you know, to be able to go to a con, you have to have some money. Right. Um, maybe people who go to a con as opposed to people who are, you know, more online furries, maybe the people that go to a con are more into it, you know, um, you could easily make a case that folks at a con overall are, are a different um, subset of the population than, than um, other places that you might find furries, uh, for example, online. There also could be um, like a age skewing as well, because you definitely have to be older to go to a con, whereas if, if you're like a young furry, you can't. Not transport yourself necessarily or have the means or financial well that on. that's a piece of it but there's the other issue is that um because of the rules uh, that the government has in place to protect uh human subjects participants uh we can't collect data from anyone under the age of 18 Oh, that's so interesting, too, because there, I, there oh, are yeah. a lot of furries. It's a lot about identity and finding oh, yeah. yourself, and that's often like 16, 17. Even younger. Uh, we yeah, we sure. know um, some, there are surveys of furries that are not conducted through, you know, university auspices, and they don't go through the same kinds of ethics procedures that we do. So we know from those kinds of surveys, I think um, one... Um, something like 40% of their participants were 19 or younger. Oh, okay. So we know 100% of our participants are 18 or older. Right. <laughs> we, so we know that. That's that <laughs> a lot of folks we're not talking to, you know. And we, we even say um, in our informed consent letter, you know, if you're under 18, you're not supposed to do this. If you bring us back a blank survey or just come up to the table and ask for a prize, we'll give you a prize for not <laughs> doing the survey. And, you know, in spite of that, we will get a handful of under 18. Yeah. And we, we basically just have to throw them out. Oh, that's tragic. It, it is tragic. I mean, there are ways that you can have participants under the age of 18, but you have to convince um, an institutional re review board, an ethics board, that it's important, that what you're going to learn right. is is going to justify whatever the risk there might be. Yeah, it's got to be a sell. So we, we, haven't, we haven't done that. The, the, and I, I also find that interesting that... Um... I really love that First Science, uh, well, one, one thing, First Science is a wonderful free resource for, like, one, the book itself is free. I've yep. read it many times. 
And then also there are multiple resources on the website for different things. There's a resource for parents yes. who are maybe confused that their their child is a furry, which I like, and they want to support and love them and they just want resources. I was surprised that the average age of people that started identifying as a furry is around 16 or 17. I would almost wonder if it was younger. It may um, be younger and they don't know it at the time. Um, sure. and, and again, that could be the result of the fact that we're not tapping into these people until they're 18. And right. we know, um, there's a ton of psychological research on just basic memory and how it works. And we know that memory is incredibly faulty. So anytime mm. you're doing a retrospective, you kind of get what you get. Um, the parent thing was, was sort of something that I think Dr. Roberts, who's a sociologist, um, picked up on, they usually have like a parent kind of orientation, I think at Anthrocon, but, um, we've done, yeah, Dr. Roberts has done, um, I think focus groups with parents and, um, Dr. Uh, Rebecca McHugh, who's at University of Pittsburgh. Um, she's also done some work with parents too. So we know that, um, it's important for parents to understand, you know, what's going on. And uh, the ones that are positive will say that, you know, that's been a really good opportunity for their kids because it's something the kid wanted to do and the kid has found a comfortable space to be in and to pursue their interests and hobbies and that kind of thing. Friendship. Yeah. Community. Yeah, Very exactly. Important. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I'll just want to, so that we, we do a little bit of, cutting and pasting and switcheroo. Yeah, sure. Um, for, for my listeners who might not know what a furry is, how would you define what a furry is? Um, a furry is simply someone who's interested in anthropomorphic animals. And sometimes we like to add um, zoomorphism. So anthropomorphic is just means attributing human characteristics to an animal um, walking upright, you know, for a lot of uh, animals that normally walk on four feet, walking upright, and language, those would be the two big ones. Mm. Um, but then you can flip that around also and talk about zoomorphism, which is attributing animal traits to humans, so um, not talking. So, for example, somebody in a fursuit, most people wearing fursuits aren't going to talk. Oh, huh. Yeah, because, well, the voice, it's not as clear. <laughs> it, it just kind of breaks the mystique i think really? um yeah there's like you know hugging is cool and um gestures you can definitely emote uh, through the gestures totally oh yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely so um it it's basically a hobby it's a fandom it's the people fundamentally that like cartoon animals um how do you define the difference between uh being in a fandom and being a fan um, there's Dr. Rice's department. So a fandom, in a fandom, you're a member of a group mm -hmm. that shares whatever that common interest is. It, it could be, you know, uh, Barbie dolls or model trains or, you know, who knows what. And, um, that's being in a fandom. So there's that group element. And then being a fan is just somebody that is interested in and has appreciation for whatever. So there's more of right. a community aspect and possibly yeah. an identification aspect. Like I am yeah. a blank. Like I am right. a, um, I'm trying to think of another, a Trekkie. That would be yeah. 
more of an identification than just being this a is, fan. This is I'm how a I head. see myself. Yeah. yeah. This is how I see myself. I define myself as, and, you know, most of us have many different roles or identities that we play, right? Yeah, that's interesting. You're, you're somebody's daughter. Yeah. You're, you're somebody's friend. Um, you're, you may be a student, you know, you're, uh, somebody that does podcasts and, and who you are and how you think about yourself in that context depends really on the, you know, on the situation that you're in. Like, um, I think I mentioned to you that I have a fursuit Mm -hmm. and, um, I have, (laughs) I have a, I have a fursona name that (gasps) goes with my... Yes, I do. I have <laughs> another story. I have a uh, a persona name that goes with the fursuit, right? And so they, they, the furries, they all tell me that I'm a furry, and I tell them that I'm a not a furry because you're only furry if you say you are. So, so that's really um, important about being a furry. You you have to self-identify. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, I. I'm. I. There's nothing wrong with being furry. Obviously, I just don't say, "Ooh, I'm a furry." Although I'm interested in a lot of things furries are interested in. Sure. So I got. I got this fur suit. Um, they typically have an uh, art auction as part of Anthrocon. Yeah. I don't know if it's part of other cons, but anyway. Um. So I had bid on something to take home for my husband. So when I would go to Anthrocon, he'd be home dog sitting. And so that's a piece of art, and I was there to, quote, defend my bid. And right next to what I bid on was this partial fursuit that nobody had bid anything on. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was like, whoa. And um, <laughs> this was quite a while ago. That's about 2009. And I thought, maybe there's something wrong with it. It was a head, tail, paws, feet. So it's a dog or a wolf? It was a dog, mm-hmm. but it was a corgi. A corgi? Corgi, yeah, but I'm not oh into gosh. corgis. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was a problem. So. <laughs> this is a problem. Yeah, it was a problem. <laughs> uh, but, but it was quite inexpensive. That was the good news. So anyway, yeah, I paid they, they price high. Oh, a good one? Yeah, mine is not a good oh, one. Oh, yeah. I actually had a student uh, at my college who has a nice fursuit tell me my fursuit was pretty crappy. <laughs> I hate to bring it to you. Heart, this is a crap fursuit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, um, people walk by and I'm like, so um, is there something wrong with this fursuit? And they're like, no. But it should be, if you were going to get a fursuit and you had a fursona, you want the fursuit to represent your the fursona. fursona, right? Like you have the fursona first, you have the art, and then yeah, you have somebody yeah, decide yeah, off yeah, your yeah, fursona. Yeah. So I said, you know what? I, I'm going to put a bid on this. Nobody else bid on it. I got it. Um, and, uh, I really just want to have a fursuit to wear to see what it feels like because I see all these people walking around in fursuits and I, I want to know what it feels like. So anyway, makes sense. yeah. So a couple years went by because I was busy and didn't have the opportunity to make the body part. And then I, um, like I said, with a corgi. My dogs are kind of wire-haired and of a terrier kind of look. So not corgis. No, no. and at the time, um, let me think, uh, 2000, I had a half-basset hound. Basset oh, hound spr- very not corgi. Very not corgi. <laughs> 
Name was Sparky. He was, oh, we loved him. I loved him. Not everybody loved him, but I loved him. Anyway, so I decided I was going to take the ears off of this thing and give it kind of basset hound ears. Oh! And this thing was kind of orange and white, and I was going to add black. And then by the time I did that, I didn't like the tail, so I gave it a new tail. And then I, so I trans, I transformed it. You transformed it. it. Yeah, I transformed it. So, because, you know what? And I'm doing this, and I'm thinking, why am I doing this? I'm not even a furry, but I care what this thing is going to look like. Huh. I don't want to just wear anything. I want to wear something. That feels you know, right. It, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, was, it was really, really interesting, right? So then I got all done with it, and I said, oh, my gosh. Furries have such awesome, like, persona names. You know, they're so clever. Oh, they're so they're so creative. Yeah, and I said, I need a name. So what's the name? I'm dying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the <laughs> name is Raphael Dogustus. Raphael Dogustus. Dogustus. Yeah. So here's the deal. Um, and my father's middle name was Ralph. Uh-huh. My family nickname is Ralph. Um, and then on top of all that, uh, and I don't even think you can find this online anymore, I found a website that had a list of all of Pavlov's dog's <gasps> names. Oh, yeah. So I went through that, and I love, like, wordplay and puns. So that's why I think one of Pavlov's names was Augustus, so it became Dogustus. Yeah, totally. So anyway, yeah, that's that's how that all happened. Oh, I really like But, it, you know, it intrigued me that I'm, like, doing this and, like... Why am I doing this? Well, I guess it's important. Right. You know, and I'm not even a furry. So if I was a furry, how much more compelling would that be? How much more compelling would that be? That's so true. I mean, furry art is gorgeous. Like, Oh, it's very cool. It's it's really, really beautiful and so well done. And and art is is a huge part of the fandom as well. Um, And I mean, sure, a lot of the art is pornographic, like you talk about it in fur science. But a lot of it's not as well. And um, yeah, there's a there's a split. Right. And uh, like um, having art of your fursona is a is a big, very important part of being a furry as well. It's like almost um, some people have described it as like seeing themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really special. And I think that's really sweet of, of seeing yourselves in a, in a different way. Yeah, there's an interesting thing people um, have told us, uh, some people anyway, uh, in the Therian community. Um, we mm. were d- doing a focus group, and um, I can't I can't remember what question we had asked or something. And someone said something like, "Oh, they hate mirrors." And we're like, "I don't like mirrors. I don't like looking at me. Just like <laughs> I don't like looking at me." But um, I'm like, "Okay, so what is it about mirrors you don't like?" And this really ties into what we we're just talking about. Um, when I look at myself in a mirror, I don't see the being that I want to be. So if you're a Therian and you really feel like, you know, you're a wolf or a dragon or what have you, um, and you're looking in a mirror and you're just seeing this plain old everyday person, you might not like that. Right. So we we actually didn't define Therian for the the listeners yet. Yeah, okay. Uh, Or other kin as well. Other Therian and other kin. So a Therian is a person who believes that at least in part 
they are non-human. Um, other, mm-hmm. other kin also believes that they are at least in part non-human. The distinction uh, gets a little bit dicey, but the one we kind of stick with is a Therian believes they, they are some creature that um, exists or has existed, maybe extinct now, um, on Earth. They're real. Like a dog, a cat, a duck-billed platypus. Uh, sure. Um, and other kin believes that there's some more mythical creature, uh, some kind of being. Um, maybe, maybe an angel or a dragon. Yeah, um, d- dragons are d- dangerous, and I never use dragon to make as the, an example. Yeah, because um, some. Folks will tell you they're not convinced there weren't dragons. Okay, I mean, I can see that argument. So, so sure. I'm not going there. You know. <laughs> sure. Um, we we um. But possibly like angels? Is that I I may have read yeah that yeah elves 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 sure. fairies a unicorn I think pretty much everybody believes there aren't really unicorns oh, fairies sure that makes sense too and unicorns you know yeah what you know whatever. Um, so for me, the parallel is sort of like, um, people that are born into one biological sex, but really believe they were meant to be the other, you know, transgender. Right. Um, you look and, in the mirror and something is just not right. Yeah. And, and you don't, you don't feel comfortable in that body. Right. Yeah. I thought that that was interesting in, in first science, you go into, um, statistically how uncomfortable they are physically in their own bodies. And I've seen similar studies when we talk about transgender people as yeah. well, of that. It, it, it just feels like they shouldn't be in the skin. It's hard. Um, because, uh, I had a colleague at work that was transgender and um, a very intelligent, very educated person. And if I were to say, make a parallel between that person's experience and the Therian experience, they don't want to hear it. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, about how, how much of a controversy between those, those two areas of studies there is. They just, um, the trans, excuse me, the transgender stuff, when you look at, um, we initially used the DSM TR4, which had a nice little checklist of you know transgender. Do you feel this way, that way, etc. Uh-huh. And uh, it matched up really, really well with how people that are Therians feel. Hmm. I you know feel uncomfortable in this body. I feel like I was meant to be somebody else. That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I I also kind of just personally feel that it's like a. Somebody's experience is somebody's experience, you know, and and the root of it, I think, is just feeling not comfortable in your own skin. And their experiences are very valid and, and pretty compelling when, when I read about personal experiences yeah. of Therians and other kin. I, I um, we, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Fine, who's at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, she's a clinical psychologist and also, I don't know if you're familiar with this term, uh, a phenomenologist. I've heard it before, but but um, what is that? Uh, it's I'm not a phenomenologist, so I'm, I'm <laughs> gonna be, I'm gonna do the best I can. 
Sure. Um, somebody who kind of would agree with what you just said, like how can you tell somebody that their experience isn't what they think it is, that sort of thing, sort of more... Oh, interesting. More okay, then open to, you know, this is who I am and that's what it is and there's there's nothing, quote, wrong with me kind of thing. Um, I'm not saying there's something wrong with someone who's a therian. Um, the ones that we've met, as far as I'm able to tell... Uh, they're, they're living their lives, they're going to work, they have friends, relationships, all that, you know, they're not hitting the markers that you would uh, think of as being, you know, um, psychotic or something like that, you know, they're not, right. they're not, quote, out of touch with reality, except for this one little mm -hmm. area where somebody could argue, it's not possible that you're, you know, not fully human, that kind of thing. Um so we kind of make a distinction. Uh, furries identify with a species, and Farians identify as a species. Right. And that, yeah. I think just using those two different words kind of makes it more clear about how they're feeling. Like, I've lived with dogs pretty much my whole life. I think I can kind of think like a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, lots of times I can anticipate what my dogs are going to do, but I don't think I'm a dog. You know what I mean? Right. I don't feel right. like I'm part dog. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely find find the, the studies very interesting and, and people also feeling, um, one, uncomfortable in their body and also the, the uh, phantom limb phenomenon as, as well. Oh, yeah. It's Absolutely. very interesting. I've, I've read a few things about that. Yeah. Um, phantom limbs that was one of the things that just like wow you know like the, like I feel like I have wings or I feel like I have a tail or mm -hmm. claws or whatever um and what what's been frustrating to me as a as a scientist is I tried to read on um hallucinations right so mm -hmm. are, are these feelings that people have are they hallucinations are they delusions um, and they're very textbook definitions of a hallucination and a delusion. A, a delusion is it's really right. something going on, but you're misinterpreting it. So it's a sort of a cognitive error. And a hallucination is, you know, you're seeing or feeling something that simply isn't there, right? Oh, um, I didn't know the difference. Thank you. Yeah, they're different. <laughs> uh, but when you really start reading the research on these things, most of the research on hallucinations has to do with auditory hallucinations. There's not much research on... On visual? Um, or feeling. Uh, yeah, a somatic. Like bodily. Somatic. Yeah, bo bodily. So, ooh, that makes it kind of challenging. Um, and there are... there are, are there, Is there more research on auditory hallucinations because of schizophrenia? Because that's more common with that? Or... I, think, I think that's the most... I think, and I, again, I, I'm not an expert sure. on this, but I think that's probably the most common kind of hallucination that people people have is auditory, and um, lots of people have auditory experiences. There's some study about um, physicians. This is back before everybody walked around with a cell phone, um, and um, doctors in the study often thought their beepers were going off when they were. Oh, so that. A hallucination. 
you know, by technical definition, you think you're hearing or feeling a beeper that isn't actually ringing. I um, I had a uh, pretty severe OCD as a child, and and I had I had um hallucinations of of uh, like the supernatural and things, which is actually pretty common. Um, there was like a study I want to say in like 2016 or 2017 that found that with children with severe OCD had hallucinations. It's uh, what I'm saying is it's it's common as hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now you're trying to be like, well, I'm trying to understand these folks who have clearly some, you know, and it's a collective experience. Brain... It's not just one person who feels this way. Right. But I think I think in some way, maybe their brains are wired a little bit differently. So who's to say? And of course, I'm at a huge disadvantage here because I am not a neuroscientist. By any sure. stretch of the imagination, never wanted to be one. Um, but there are these areas in your brain, kind of like here, where the um, the sensory and the motor stuff sort of gets hooked up and works. So it's, this is part of your brain. That's the part that does the heavy duty. Doctor Dubasi right? is pointing to her frontal lobe when she's talking about the heavy duty stuff. And yeah, <laughs> this is you know it's a Pre- podcast. Prefrontal. Okay. <laughs> And then on the top of your head, in the middle of the, t- across the top of your head, in the middle, yeah. right? Like if you were in a zombie movie and they put an axe in your head. Got it. Okay, movie. cool. <laughs> um, so who's to say that you don't have some little part, some like handful of neurons up there that are kind of special for you that maybe somebody else hasn't. Um, had some kind of input that triggered those neurons and that for you those neurons are wired to be uh, some sensation on your back that most people wouldn't notice that make you feel like it wins. I don't know. I can't I can't argue against that. So you got the phantom limb stuff and we have and I don't know that we have data on this yet but we have had um, variants tell us uh, that they have um, experience with synesthesia. What's that? So synesthesia is like um, you hear colors. Oh. Um, so your your um, sensory wires get kind Are of crossed. crossed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it it can be in lots of different modalities. And actually, I'm sitting on my table over there. Um, there's some um, synesthesia working group. I think they're in Australia, which makes me a little nervous because that's where Fiona is. But anyway. Um, I, I've been, I've been, um, you're not allowed in the country yeah, <laughs> because, I know. Of, because of that rebuttal <laughs> uh, I was actually invited to go give a talk in Australia but I don't fly and we sent Dr. Plant in, instead But so I, I turned down a trip to Australia free trip to Australia but anyway um, <laughs> yeah I mean I, I, I it's one of the frustrations that, that I've had is that it's it's really hard to get other skilled researchers who are experts in areas that neither my colleagues nor I are experts in to to, to be like, Hey, this is really interesting. Do you want to, you know, you want to help? You want to be involved? That kind of thing. And usually um, if the person has an established field of research, they might say, well, yeah, that's really interesting, but I'm busy. Hmm. Um, so actually when we got, uh, Dr. Fine, she had just started at Duquesne. She had just finished her PhD 
and she also had done her uh, doctoral dissertation on autism, which has a big link with the fandom. Oh, really? So, yeah. Um, oh, I believe there's a tab on first science about yeah, autism yeah. In, in the fandom. Um, so it, it, we were fortunate to get her to kind of join up with us because she wasn't already busy doing something else, you know? Um, so it's frustrating because I, I would love uh, to be able to have some uh, Therians in particular uh, go do fMRI or whatever there's some other guy in um, oh, Pittsburgh sure. doing some other work with um, sort of, sort of around verbal processing stuff like that and um, fMRI brain analysis and I actually emailed the guy and he didn't reply and this was kind of when covid was hitting so who knows yeah, it's almost like any emails that were in stream in March, you just forgive. <laughs> then I, but then I followed up with a real letter. Ah. Nothing. Oh man. Yeah, so um, sometimes people just think you're making stuff up. We actually got a reply to a uh, something we submitted. I think it was to a medical journal, but Dr. Roberts got a reply once to one of our submissions. It was a this is very unprofessional of you to waste our time like this. Yeah. What? Yeah, crazy. And then um, I had submitted... Um, That's so odd. Yeah, I had submitted, a, I think, a poster to the Association for Psychological Science. It was going to be held in Boston in a particular year, and I had a really nice, what's called discriminant function analysis, some fancy statistics that kind of showed the difference between Therians and not Therians. And um, it's a poster, so I don't know if you know about academic conferences. So there's a poster. You just put it on the wall. People ignore it or not, whatever, right? Sure. Um, it's not like asking for a time slot to give a talk, which is much more um, prized, I guess you could say. And mm -hmm. um, they didn't even accept that as a poster. And I was really annoyed because, you know, this was real stuff. These are, so so you find that a lot of people don't take your research seriously. Yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's very frustrating. That it, must be. It's frustrating because when when if you knew as many furries and fairians as we do, you know, they're Which very in the hundreds of thousands. Well, thousands, no. thousands anyway, right? Um they will t the fairians in particular, they really want us to be able to explain to them you know, why they... What's going yeah, on? Yeah, what's going on, right? And the furries, I think they're a little past that, but, uh, you know, I've had at least one furry say, you know, I'm so glad you, you're doing this research because now when, you know, I can, I can point to your stuff and, and show it to my parents and that explains, mm. you know, that sort of thing. So I don't feel yeah. like I have to hide my identity. And I think fundamentally that's an issue for um, a lot of these people because you know, um, to be comfortable in your skin, uh, and you can't really be comfortable in your skin if you feel like you have to hide who you are, if you can't be Absolutely. authentic, you know, um, some Therians that we've talked to talk about playing human, you know, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. they go to work 
and they know there are rules they ought to follow. <laughs> they may not be happy about them, but they follow those rules because sure. they know that's what they have to do, you know, to, to keep their job, to fit in that kind of thing. And then when they when they go home, um, they can, you know, be who they feel like they want to be, but they can't tell people. I've seen discourse on, on Twitter as well, just people uh, pointing to different articles and different statistics in first science as well. I just did a quick search on Twitter for first science because that's like the discourse place Twitter. Yeah. Um, and I also saw that there was a, a first science talk, I want to say on December 11th of this year at a digital conference. Um, that was just a video. Here, I'll, I'll pull up who, who did it. It was just a video. And all the comments were furries being like, first science hits again. Like, just, they, they love you. They, oh, yeah. They love the oh, research yeah. you're doing. Yep. Um, I did want to ask as well, in this pod, um, the this fandom is very white from your study, 83.2%, and it's also vastly constituted by men, 67.1%. Um, there are, there's a significant number of trans people as well in the fandom, which I find very interesting. Um, do, you, do you have any takes on, on uh, gender and race within the fandom? That's what been one of my biggest questions is the gender question. So I think your 67 number is, sounds a little low, actually. It's usually more like mm. 80% guys. I think 67 was um, identifying with a masculine gender. So that means oh, that okay. that including be, um, yeah. uh, trans men as well. Okay. Um, it, you know, pretty much every study, there have been way more uh, males than females. Um, we not been able to come up with an answer with that. Uh, one year, Dr. Roberts decided it was all about the porn, but that didn't really hold up. Um, the, the, the closest thing I found, but I haven't been able to, you know, figure out a way to test a hypothesis, there was um, some research on ostracism. And um, so if you look at uh, history of furries, they are more likely to have been bullied yeah. than other people, right? So that sort of points at ostracism, I guess. Um, and this one study or opinion, I think it was a guy named uh, Williams, Kipling Williams, uh, said that when guys feel ostracized, they basically go, you know, I'm out of here. Are you going to ostracize me? I don't want to be in your group anymore anyway, right? Um, so females, however, when they feel ostracized, um, they're more likely than males to try and work back, to get back into the group that they've been excluded from. So if all that's true, um, males might gravitate more to the fandom uh, because they're leaving this more, you know, maybe vanilla mainstream group that has ostracized them. I don't know. That's one possibility. Another That makes sense to me. Yeah. Another one is, you know, just the connection between computers and the internet and technology and the fandom, right? So a, a lot of people find their way to the fandom through the internet and in general, historically anyway, maybe not so much now, I don't know, but historically, um, guys, that was more a guy thing, all the techie sort of stuff with more guy, yeah. yeah, more a guy thing. Um, so maybe that's part of the explanation. We don't really know. 
As far as the race, you know, I don't know. Uh, again, if you're going to join a, if, if I, I don't want to sound like racist or anything. I'm just trying to like think outside the box. If you're, if you're already in a group that's stigmatized. So in our society, there's no getting around the fact that it's harder to be black than it is to be white, right? Totally. Yeah. Okay. So you're black. You want to go join a group that people are already making fun of? Right. No, that I I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's that's a very good extrapolation. Um I also was thinking that like a lot of the um anthropomorphic uh, media. I, I used that word correctly, right? I don't know why. When it came out of my mouth, I was like, you said it wrong. You left, um, you left a out a syllable, but it's okay. I did? Anthropomorphic. You left the oh, P. Oh, I left out the P. Darn it. Okay. Thank you. Great. No problem. Um, I would argue that uh, a lot of that sort of media could be considered white media. So like, you know, Disney, yeah. Robin Hood, Aristocats, yeah, uh, Zootopia. I mean, it's just an idea. Maybe yeah. not. I don't know. I just saw 83% and I was like, holy cow. That's a pretty high stat. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know. I mean, doesn't... Kids like anthropomorphic things, right? That's true. It's it's not necessarily a race. Yeah, thing. I, don't, I don't think so. But, you know, if we don't have a lot of black people participating, then we we couldn't really say we're we're at the mercy of whatever our samples are that's true and i think we've been pretty uh cautious not to uh overgeneralize from whatever we've done to hmm. the population um and to be uh cognizant of whatever the limitations of of our samples are cuz that's just good science you know i mean yeah. you just have to say well this was my sample and based on that here's what I got my goal is to be able to talk about more than my sample but I'm limited by the you know the constraints of recognizing you know these are the let's see let's say like um, the last anthracon there were maybe 8,500 people um, and we got maybe 1,200 surveys back and we got about 1,200 maybe that we gave out that we didn't give back, whatever. Yeah. So, are those... It, 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 at the mercy of your of, of what you collect, sure. Yeah, and that's... I was also... Yeah, go ahead. That's, that's just... That's the way social science works, you know? Yeah. It's not physics. <laughs> yeah, it's not... You, if it was, you don't have I to worry about... It. No. <laughs> I like I like that you don't have to worry about whether or not the molecules will participate. I know. Right? I think that's I think that's so brilliant. Yeah. Um, my other question was I really like uh, when I read about um, like sexuality as well that that uh, some people that there was a percentage of furries who um, consider themselves more heterosexual than their fursona. Like their fursona is more um, sexually fluid or bisexual. Yeah. Than, I'm saying it might be a way to explore and play. yeah, fundamentally it might be a way. Absolutely. Fundamentally, the persona is a way to try on an identity. Yeah. Okay. And I think that rocks. Yeah. And for, uh, you know, some of our research shows that that persona uh, tends to be kind of a more ideal self. So in some ways, maybe it's exploratory. So if you're a young person and you're trying to figure out, you know, what your sexual orientation is and all that. It could be a way to try that out. Um, but also, it's a way to try out 
um, different personality styles. So I've uh, worn my fursuit, um, I think three times at Anthrocon. They're very hot, and I don't like being hot. Anthrocon's held in June and July. Anyway. Oh, true. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the first time I was in a fursuit parade, and, you know, they take video of the parade and everything, so I'm watching the video, and um, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's me, and I'm dancing. I can't dance. Oh. I don't even like to dance in public. I mean, how does this happen, right? So it's it's a way to, if you're an introvert or you're a shy person, to be more outgoing and see if it feels right. And some people will tell you that, you know, after they've kind of tried on this self in a fursuit, then it makes it possible for them to still be that self that maybe they find more appealing, not in a fursuit. Yeah. I I just think that's dandy. I really, really like that. Like, yeah. Yeah, trying trying on uh different personality types, trying on um I and yeah. and I also uh I, I also found it interesting that there's higher rates of polyamory within the furry community, which also makes sense that it's it's an encouraging um it, like it's 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 a fandom that encourages openness and acceptance. Yeah. One of and, the norms one of the norms of the fandom is to be open and accepting. Which, so, that's a great norm to have. <laughs> it's a great norm to have. Whether it always pans out or not is another question, of course. There are you know, always problems within fandoms, right, right. of course. But um, I think that's maybe why some people that are um, different from societal norms kind of gravitate towards a fandom um, because they see that they can be who they are and they won't be judged the same way that they would, you know, out in the regular world. Mm-hmm. And it feels good, right? You don't have to worry. Um, I think about, you know, different things. Uh, various participants have told us uh, that when they go to Anthrocon, they feel like they can be who they really are. Yeah. And not worry about somebody judging them mm-hmm. or... You know, it's it's important. I think that's important and it, too. it's important for their well being. Yeah, that that just you know that makes me happy. Um, so on a on a slightly separate note, uh, some of our our listeners, um, might be confusing the term brony and furry, and I want to make sure that we um just touch upon that because some people listening might think that they are the same. Oh, if you don't want to talk about it, I can totally... No, it's okay. I'm just thinking of some funny stories. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, so when the brony thing first really started... So a brony... So a brony, yeah. a brony is a, <laughs> a brony fan of My Little Pony. Friendship so, is magic. Friendship is magic. Um, when, Which is the newer TV show. That was going to be canceled... Years. All these people oh. got, yeah, it was going to be, I think it ultimately was canceled, but anyway, all these I pe- believe it was canceled last year, yeah. All these people got together to um, protest it being canceled, and for whatever reason, lots of these people who were really into the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic were guys. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe they like dressing up as their favorite character. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there is some overlap between the furry right. community and the brony community. 
Not every brownie is a furry. Uh, Exactly. But there are some that are both. Yeah. So, you know, one thing, and we didn't talk about this, um, because my my research team, it's not my team, the team I'm part of, uh, has also studied anime, right? Because... Oh, yeah. Because uh, when we think about, you know, people dressing up in costumes, people trying on identities, all that kind of stuff, um, that anime fandom looks like sort of a parallel to the furry fandom um but they're different and one of the things that's different is if you're in anime and you're going to cosplay um you probably want your costume your portrayal to be very realistic towards some favorite character that you are trying to represent right mm-hmm. okay if you're a furry and whether you've got a full fursuit or just a partial fursuit and ears tail that kind of um you have created this identity you very rarely see furries it's not based on anything yeah it's, you're not gonna, based on their own creativity exactly you're not going to see a furry being mickey mouse or you know right. tony the tiger or you know whatever um almost never see that right so they're they're really different and i'm not sure with the bronies if if they're dressing in costume if they're picking out a particular pony that they're playing or if they are creating their own i really don't know um, Dr. Yeah, I, I don't know the uh, the statistics of that, but I have, you know, I've seen when they dress up, they're, they're specifically like Applejack, they're specifically specific, but I'm sure that that, that they make original characters as well, but um, Dr. it's interesting that they, they might be, they might be cosplaying as like a female pony. Um, oh yeah, the, 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 um, the exterior of the fursuit does not tell you anything about, yeah, I think that's, that's cool as well. It's a, it's a way you to try to My persona well. is my dog. Persona is a guy. Yeah, that's cool. It just is. I don't know why. It just is. Maybe because. That's so cool. <laughs> maybe because Sparky was a guy. I don't know. Most of our dogs like have been. It. Yeah, I don't. It, it's, why worry about it? <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no reason. There's, um, yeah, there's no rule. The other, uh, one of the last things I do want to touch upon is um, a lot of uh, women uh, in the fandom feel like less than equal Mm. inside of the fandom. Uh, 42% of women disagreed with the statement that women are treated as equal in the fandom. Um, That that isn't an overwhelming statistic, but it is definitely a statistic. Um, 68.4% of women agreed that the fandom was an intimidating place for women, according to First Science. Um... And that's that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> they said that some of it had to do with the the way that women are portrayed in furry art. Um, yeah, that, that could be. Sense. Yeah, that could be. I mean, if you so when you go to the art show, it's usually at least Anthrocon anyway. It's divided into two parts. There's the part that anybody can look at, and then there's the part that you have to be like an adult to get into. Um, yeah. and you know, it could have to do with that. I think if you talk to the artists, they might tell you they don't particularly like drawing pornography, but they make more money that way. I don't know. Absolutely. I've talked um, to some artists that, that yeah. do that. Uh, I don't know. You know, is it just you're, you know, in a space where you are outnumbered? There are a lot more guys there than there are girls. Maybe that makes you feel uncomfortable. 
I, I really... Yeah, that could implicitly make yeah. that happen. Yeah. You know, just by the sheer number. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I think over the last, you know, five or ten years, there have been more women showing up, at least at mm-hmm. a convention. And we've even, over the last few years, seen families where the parents are furries and they're bringing their kids. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I love that. I know that at Anthrocon, like the the parade is is welcome to like it's it's a family event in some I've I've heard it described as like families go to the parade at Anthrocon. Oh as well. well, what what happened was um, three years ago, I think about three years ago. Um, the way the convention center at Pittsburgh is set up is um, hard to describe, but there's there's an indoor space obviously, but then there's an outdoor space. Um, there's sort of like two roads, two parallel roads that run on the ground level underneath the second floor of the convention center. So there's almost like a little racetrack that's Mm -hmm. outside on ground level, but it's also part of the convention center. Okay. So the last few years, they've allowed or they've routed the fursuit parade outside around this little track and then back inside. And uh, because previously you couldn't get into the convention center to watch the parade or do anything unless you bought admission. And there's a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, there's a right, price for right. That. Yeah. And then, and so by um, having the parade outside and they set up chairs and their police and, you know, it's all like a real parade, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, lots and lots of people come to watch the first parade that are just people that. You know, we're in the area. Part of the Pittsburgh community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pittsburgh loves furries because they make a boatload of money when the furries show up. I know. I, I have a um, an ex-partner of mine who's from Pittsburgh. And um, when I started doing research on, on furries, they were like, they were like, oh, yeah, Anthrocon. We yeah, love we Anthrocon love in Anthrocon. Pittsburgh. Yeah, <laughs> yes. It's very lucrative. Um yeah, I mean, you got people in town for um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so probably, you know, at least three nights, maybe more. They're eating, they're, you know, spending a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. Um, all right, I, bef- before I head out, um, is there anything else that you'd, you'd like to say about uh, current research that's going on? Um, anything else that you think that we didn't cover that you think that would be interesting for the pod? Gee, I don't know. Um, we obviously didn't go to Anthrocon and didn't do a survey this year. Um, yeah. So we did do an online survey instead, and we tried to uh, ask some questions about how COVID has affected you. I don't have any results sure. on that yet, but we try and make it timely. Um, well, when that's posted, I'll post it to socials yeah, whenever this goes up. Our, um, you know, our team, we have... Um, Dr. Rice, and he's in Texas, and Dr. Plant, and Roberts, who are in Canada, and uh, the Canadian government has supported our research uh, through their um, research council, and it's basically on the idea of anti-stigma research, so, you know, furries are stigmatized people, and it's hard for that, it's hard to be a furry, you know, and it shouldn't be, like, you're just having your hobby, why should this be a problem, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, really, think about it. Um, and then we have um, some other colleagues that kind of are sort of a little more peripheral, but then, as I mentioned, um, Dr. Fine, who's really 
uh, done a lot of work on the Therian stuff, a lot of one-on-one -on -one interviews with some people, uh, multiple interviews over years. So we're trying to make progress on that, but it's it, it takes time, you know. Um, but I, I um, admire and respect the members of the fandom, and I've made a lot of friends with people yeah. that I would have never met, you know, if I hadn't um, hadn't gotten into doing this. And I have um, probably over over four dozen of my students over time have participated and helped with the research, so it's been you know learning experiences for them too. Yeah. So you know, I'll started with one little. Uh, question from somebody somewhere who want to know if anybody knows anything about furries. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I think that's great. Something yeah, that I, I mean, really admire about you is that, that you wanted, you said there's, there's not research in this. And so you said, I'm going to do it. And I think that's dandy. And it was not expensive. You know what I mean? I mean, if I had <laughs> needed giant machines and it would never have happened, but all we needed was pencils and paper. basically. Right. Made it possible. And, and you've done so much for the community. They love you. Yeah. Well, it's not <laughs> just me. You know, in all in all fairness, um, I was sort of like the Kickstarter kind of thing. And then it, yeah. it would never have gotten this far if it wasn't for Dr. Plant and Dr. Roberts mm -hmm. and Dr. Rison, Because in their jobs, in their roles, they're in a publisher parish kind of mode, right? Yeah. Uh, the typical university mode. I was never in that mode. You know, not that I haven't been interested in still participating in what's going on and all that kind of stuff, but I never would have had the, the skill or the time to pursue as many different things as we've gotten, as we've gotten done. So uh, a lot of credit goes to a lot of other people for sure. And another thing that I admire about about you and about First Science is getting members of the community involved. I think community research is extremely interesting. Um, and it's especially great when when you make sure that people who identify with the group are part of the studies and part of the research. Right. And we, we um, have for many years at the end of AnthroCon held a, a kind of a debriefing section. It isn't really necessarily debriefing. That's usually associated with having done some um, research where we're, you know, not upfront about what we're doing. Our surveys are pretty transparent. But um, and we'll go and they, they ask us questions and we answer them and, and we'll ask them, you know, what are questions we haven't asked you yet that we need to ask you? Oh, that's so, great. So um, some of our work comes from their suggestions telling us, oh, why haven't you looked at this yet? Or, you know, have you thought about this, that or the other? And um, lots of times those ideas get turned into subsequent research because yeah. they're the insiders they're the insiders. They're the best resource you got. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even <laughs> like you? in 2007, when I met with two of the board of directors and I had this idea that, you know, furries really thought they were, they weren't people or whatever. And they're like, no, 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 that's Therians. So some Therians are furries, some furries are Therians, but they're separate. And you need to, you know, know what you're doing. And I'm like, okay, well, tell me what I'm doing. You know, that kind got of it. Thing. Let's do it then. Yeah, Let's go. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, you know, if they weren't helping, we couldn't get anywhere. Yeah. Really, for sure. Well, for I, I think sure. we covered a lot of, uh, a lot of topics. Yeah, and I really, fun. really want to thank you for your time. And I'm just hoping when we stop and I go back to my phone, which is just sitting here looking like it's resting. <laughs> recording. Yeah, and you'll... You'll let me know when you're going to put this up, so um, oh, it'll it'll go on First Science, too. It will? 
You got it. Yep. Oh my gosh, that's such a big deal to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I'm such a big fan. Okay, awesome. Oh gosh, okay. that's 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 wonderful. Yeah, it'll be great. Oh, that's it'll wonderful. I, I have such a love for the community. Do, well, do you know great. any um, furries? Do I know any furries? I've met furries through Twitter, but I've never, I've oh. actually not met a furry right. in person. Interesting. Yeah. I know, I want to. Um, when I was doing the initial research, I, I met them, um, I, I talked to a few over Twitter, DM'd with a few over Twitter, trying to understand a, a bit for my paper, yeah, and yeah. then that's where I found out that I was like, oh, it's not a fetish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dead no, end. it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's not, not a fetish. Not, not a fetish. This podcast is produced by Hickory Playground, founded by Dylan Tashjian, Robert Fuller, and Jordan Maycant. Jordan is also our audio editor. Compositions are by Lucky Cerruti. Logos designed by Morgan Honeycutt. My assistant in research is John Morgan Stern, and our digital marketing specialist is Simone Elhart. Thank you so much for listening.